Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, from God. Amen. Very blessed first Sunday of the month of Hope. And today we see quite an interesting gospel. We see our Lord Jesus Christ in a home preaching and many multitudes surrounding him. And we find outside of this home four men whose fifth friend is paralyzed on a bed. And these men are incredibly desperate to have the Lord meet their friend because their faith is if the Lord meets him, then the Lord will heal their friend. Now, I guess it could have been really easy for these guys to look at the home and see all the people and see the Lord very busily teaching and say, there's no way we're not getting in this home. And anyway, even if we did, who's to say that the Lord is even going to pay attention to our friend because he's very busy with everyone else. And perhaps any of us would think they'd be totally justified to just walk away. And yet, their desperation was so strong because of the love for their friend and the faith and hope that they had that the Lord could heal his friend. So they observed the situation and they saw, well, we can go up from the roof and we can go down. Did they come equipped with materials? Was that their plan in advance? We don't know, probably not. But anyways, with whatever resources they had, they went to that roof and they brought the man down. And the Lord saw this and saw the faith of the friends and healed the man. Now, what's very interesting is that the Lord does forgive the man's sins and then he heals him of his paralysis and this is important because it demonstrates what is significant to our Lord while the friends were concerned with their paralyzed friends paralysis and wanted him to be healed physically the Lord cared about his spiritual health and his soul but then why did the Lord, after all this, decide to heal the man's paralysis? It had to do with those around who perceived in their hearts thinking, who is this who forgives sins? Only God can forgive sins. So the Lord, to demonstrate his divinity, shows his authority even over sickness, even over weakness, and commands the man to rise. And of course, if the Lord is going to command the, the man to rise, even if he is paralyzed, nevertheless, he is compelled to obey, and he does. But I'd like to observe today and take a few moments, I, I suppose. I'd like to consider that we're like these men with a certain desperation to meet the Lord, to receive healing. And I think these men, in a sense, are an icon of all of humanity because all humanity has been eagerly waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ, has been waiting the sanctification, has been awaiting the incarnation and the resurrection and all works of the economy. 
But I want us to consider today in our spiritual walk and in our lives as Christian, the place of guidance and spiritual advice, knowing that our mother, the church, has a purpose to connect us to the Lord through the sacraments and through other means I want to discuss today. And today we'll discuss the spiritual father or the father confession. They're two different things, but many times the father confession will be the spiritual guide. The reading of the scripture, which is given to us by the church and the Egbeya. So I, I suppose the first thing that we should consider is the spiritual guide, the father confession, and why we need guidance. So one of the desert fathers writes regarding our free will. And he says, look, if you decide to follow your own counsel, the devil will be overjoyed. Because as long as I'm the one making the decisions, and as long as I am the one taking my own advice and having my own thoughts, the devil can completely take advantage, can, can make suggestions in order that we can fail. I think we've heard this story before, but remember the monk with the nine virtues, how he wanted so badly to reach and attain a tenth virtue and yet, against all advice on his, on his own merit, and the guy has nine virtues, he's excellent, he decides, I'm going to go to another monastery. But it wasn't right for him to go there because immediately he lost a virtue. And without taking any advice, leaning on his own understanding, he went again, I'll go to a different monastery. It's fine, this one was not a good idea. Went to the next one, lost another virtue. And kept doing this thing. The guy is almost out of virtues, doesn't know what to do. Until finally he receives spiritual advice and he writes this thing down on a paper. And when the monks are fighting in the monastery, and of course he's going to be disturbed by it. Of course it's going to cause him to lose another virtue. But he pulls out this paper and he reads such advice. And within his heart now suddenly there is peace. And all the men, they see this, all the monks, and they say, he must be a sorcerer. He cast a spell. Because there's no way that he would be able to be strong against all the commotion going out the monastery. So they told the abbot, this monk is a sorcerer. And the abbot's like, okay, whatever. So the abbot went in the night and he went to the monk and he saw the paper and he saw what it said. And the next day he brought the accusations against the monk and said, you have come here, but you are a sorcerer. Of course, the monk doesn't want to reveal the, the, what God has done for him. So he says, yes, Abba, I'm a sorcerer. Forgive me my sin. Forgive me my weakness. Said, no, 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 no. You need to show us your spell. No, anything but that. I'm a sorcerer. I already confessed to you. But finally, they revealed it. And all the monks were ashamed. Why? Because he relied on the words of the Lord. He relied on advice that was beyond their understanding. And this is why we see in the book of Proverbs, trust in the Lord, rely not on your own understanding. Why? Because as we just saw, when we do rely on our own understanding, we're unable to even vet our thoughts, to determine, is this good thought? Is it bad thought? Is this something that comes from God? Is it something that comes from another place? We need another such person to aid us. And if you look at the story of St. Moses the Black, one whose entire life was driven 
by passion and desire. And eventually that passion and desire came to be, who is the true God? Is it the son that we worship? To finally go to the monastery and meet Abba Isidor and to be convinced of the Lord Jesus Christ and to recognize that his life in the past was repulsive and to finally come before St. Macarius and to see an angel come down with a cloth that's black. Well, what is that black cloth? It's not a black cloth, it's a white cloth, but the blackness on there are your sins. And he begins to confess, and as he confesses, it becomes more and more white until after a very, very long confession, the linen is clean. And this is a representation of the soul of Abba Moses. And of course, he is baptized by, by Abba Makarios, but that wasn't the end of the spiritual guidance. Just because he was baptized and he received forgiveness, it didn't mean he was done with it. There were at least two other occasions we read, and there's many more though, but at least two occasions that we read where Abba Moses needed the help of Abba Isidor. He couldn't do it on his own. On one such occasion, Abba Moses was trying to pray, and overnight he was disturbed by evil thoughts. He didn't know what to do, so he goes to Abba Isidor. Father, I have this evil thought. They talk together about it. Abba Isidor then encourages Abba Moses, Abba, I want you. Throughout the night, I don't care what time it is, come back to my cell. Come seek my guidance. We'll pray together. And we'll make sure you do not fall this night into sin. And Abba Moses returned 11 times, although I was told it was 99 times. So maybe 11, maybe 99. He came many times that night to his father to receive advice, to pray together, to be kept on that one track. But another time, Abba Moses struggled with gluttony. He realized, I eat way too much, and the amount I'm eating is causing me to sin. I have within my heart a love for food that must be vanquished so I can have love for God. But we know the difficulty with food, you can never truly defeat it because you have to eat. If you don't eat, you die. So Abba Moses doesn't know what to do. And I guess in his own mind, with his own counsel, he could have said, well, look, I'm just not going to eat. I'm not going to do that thing. And he could have done that, but it likely would have led to failure. And had he succeeded by his own word, then it would have led to pride. But Abba Moses did the right thing. He went to his spiritual father, Abba Isidor. He told him, Abba, I am struggling with gluttony. And Abba Isidor likely gave Abba Moses advice that Abba Moses did not like at all. He told him, Abba Moses, how much do you eat? Oh, I eat the size of a sheep. Okay, well, go and find a log, a piece of wood, the size of a sheep. And he did, and he said, I want you to use this to measure all your food. It's like, are you serious? I'm eating the same. There's, there's no way, that's not going to help me. And I think that might happen with our own spiritual fathers, fathers of confession. And we ask for advice, we ask for wisdom. And we receive the words, and oh, we don't agree with it. We think, oh, I don't think Abuna clearly understood, or I don't think my spiritual guide, I, maybe he's not a good guide, maybe I should consider another. But Abba Moses trusted in the advice following the monastic habit, and he continued to measure his food and did not realize that the wood deteriorated over time, and as he measured his food to this, it shrunk over time until Abba Moses was very skinny, very frail. He had conquered gluttony, not through his own merit, not through his, under, his own understanding, 
not through anything else but his obedience to his spiritual guide. And of course, we know the story from the paradise, a young man who is fighting with a sexual sin. And he says, Father, what can I do to overcome this sin? My son, go out into the desert. I need you to fast for 40 days. Do not return until 40 days. And maybe halfway through, maybe about 20 days in, a figure of a woman appears to him. She has a very putrid, very awful scent. And he casts her away and says, leave this place. And she does. And he feels immense peace. He feels a great victory. So he immediately leaves the desert and goes to his father and says, Abba, you would not believe it. But the spirit, I believe even it was the spirit of fornication, had come to me. And I rebuked her and she departed. And the father was not happy. He said, my son, this vision appeared to you, but had you waited 40 days, like I told you, something much greater would have occurred. What was it? Did, did the demon come and approach the man? And did it allow itself to be vanquished so it could draw him out? We don't know. And we likely will not know because that's the end of that story. And what's very interesting with that is that although we can doubt our priest's advice or our spiritual guide's advice, if we do not follow it, we will not understand or be able to reap the fruit of that advice. So it's, it's imperative that we are given advice by our spiritual guide, that our Father Confession, that we see it to the end to see, you know, Father, I tried it, it didn't work. Or Father, at first I doubted, but lo and behold, I achieved something great through our Lord. So this is why that Father says, when I rely on my own will, my own understanding, the devil is overjoyed. But what does the devil hate? The father says, the devil hates when you go to your spiritual guide and seek advice. And I guess it's the same thing that we do at work, at school, anywhere else. When we ask for advice, when we ask for clarification, then suddenly we're going to rely on that. And we can find that, well, there's not much room for error. You told me to do the thing and I did it. Now you can't suddenly say, well, you did it wrong. What do you mean I did it wrong? I did it the way you told me. And that's true with the spiritual advice. Rely on such advice and you will find a straightforward way. And if we look at Abba Antony, we see one whose entire monastic life turned upon and was informed by and was shaped by the advice of those ascetic men around him. That when Abba Antony prayed, my, my parents have died I have a great inheritance. What do I do? He went to the church and he heard the reading of the scripture. If you desire to be perfect, go sell all you have. Give to the poor. Follow me. Then you will have treasure in heaven. And he goes forth. And the next week, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, worry about itself. Worry about only today. And gives the rest of his money. Puts his sister in a convent. And what does he do? He goes out to the outskirts, to the very early, I guess, proto-monks. Or the very early monks of their time who are living in the outskirts of the city. And from each one, he learns and he observes their way of life to learn different virtues so that he could shape monasticism. And finally, once he learned all things, God then called him, go to the graveyard, Abba Antony, and kept calling him to go further into the desert. But Abba Anthony found in his life there was a certain boredom, the type of boredom that would make a person want to abandon their struggle and come back to the world. God, I don't know what I can do. 
regarding this boredom. Please, O Lord, I rely on you. Teach me. And he saw an angel and the garments of a monk. And he was plaiting, making a, a basket out of palm leaves. And Abba Antony understood that if he lives this lifestyle, he will never find boredom. But rather, he will find fulfillment in his monastic calling. And the rest of the monks, now they follow Abba Antony and do the same. A little sleep, a little work, and much prayer. And that is the way of monasticism. That yes, we receive teachings within the scripture, but how to apply, how to learn. We learn this through the example of our desert fathers. So the monks today, through very much advice, through much counsel, through much prayer to determine the calling, they follow this Saint Abba Antony. And we too, we're here, we're in the world, we can also follow Abba Antony. We can also follow the lives of the saints. Look at Saint Bacchus and Saint Sergius from today's, uh, today's Synexar reading. What did they do? They stood against the emperor because they believed in our Lord Jesus Christ. How many would have advised them? Bacchus, Sergius, you have a very high rank in the military. Don't mess it up with your faith in the Lord. You need to hide it. It needs to be private. Between you and God, it doesn't need to include the emperor, no one else. But no, they were sincere in their worship, in their prayer. And it came to the emperor's ears. They did not deny it. They didn't decide they're going to try to hide it. But rather they embraced it. And look how much the church and the community embraced them. That there's even churches named after them in old, in, in old Cairo in Egypt. That the community loves them and looks to them so much. Why? Because they didn't rely on bad advice, but rather they saw those like Daniel, who when the, the, the King Nebuchadnezzar made the commission that you can't, you, there's, there's no more prayer, there's no more worship, you have to worship before the golden idol in the music plays. He opened his windows and he prayed. He didn't care because he didn't care what the earthly authority said because he was concerned with the heavenly authority. So this is all to say, let us seek advice from our Father Confession and our spiritual guide. The next two points are rather brief, but I want to go into the reading of the Bible and the Igbeya. Just advice on these that we can learn from, I guess, beginning with the Bible. The Bible is a gift to us given by the church. The Bible is the word of God. The Bible is the authority by which we live our lives. Upon the Bible, we rely upon the Bible is the measure by which we determine how similar am I to our Lord Jesus Christ. It is not a book that I put below me, that I read critically and I say, oh, this part is, this part is, uh, it, it, it's different than this other part. There's a contradiction. I don't read it in a very critical way like I, I might read an article, might read a magazine, might read a blog, whatever, a book. Rather, the Bible is placed above us. Because when I compare myself to the Bible and I see contradiction, the issue is not with the Bible, the issue is with me. And this has an important relationship with our, with our spiritual father and our father confession. Because as I read the Bible, I suddenly can recognize where I fall short. You know, Abuna, I, I read this passage in, in Matthew. 
It says to turn the other cheek. That is very difficult, and I don't know. Is it right for me to say, let's disregard this passage? No, because then we see one like St. John the Short, who the monk said, go and slap St. John the Short across the face and tell him, go to his cell and see what he does. And they slap St. John, uh, John the Short across the face, go to your cell, and they don't see him again for many days. Where is he? I don't know. Oh, he's in his cell. They go to Abba John. Abba John, why are you here? I was told to go to my cell and I have not been called out. And we begin to understand and see a spirit of peace, a spirit of tranquility. One who, although is injured outwardly, does not allow that injury to pierce or damage his soul. Oh, I begin to understand. Suddenly we see that the Bible has great truth, that yeah, I could have read the whole thing cover to cover, that's fine, I could do that every year, that's great. But that doesn't mean I'm done reading it, because the Bible is living. The Bible continues to have, I don't want to say a new meaning, I guess a new meaning in terms of my life that I can view it in a different way. But because this is God's word, it is infinite. Because it is God's word and the Spirit speaks through this. There's so much for me to understand and for us to understand our entire lives are not enough. Because as St. Gregory of Nazianzus says, if God is comprehensible, he cannot be God. If this word is fully comprehensible, then it would not be the word of God. Even you consider we have readers within the church and the readers go through much training to be able to speak and explain. They have to study not only the Bible, the Old and the New Testament. You think that's enough? They study the liturgy. They study the history of the church. They study the dogmatics and the apologetics. So many subjects, even the patristics, they learn all these things to then be able to open the Bible to lean on the understanding of the church. So since the church has given us the Bible, it's important then that even our own reading is not of any private interpretation, but rather we do rely on the church. And that's through the Sunday homilies, the adult education, the Sunday school program that we have at this church. Those are necessary to teach us and inform us regarding the Holy Bible. Now, the third thing that I want to speak, the last thing, is the Egbeya. Because the Egbeya is our teacher. Lord, how can I pray? And he taught us the Lord's Prayer. He said, when you pray, pray like this, our, our Father who art in heaven. And this prayer we've held onto and we've cherished. And through our tradition... The church has compiled, compiled a book of hours, a book of prayers for us. And these are canonical hours that there's a first and a third and a sixth and ninth, eleventh and twelfth hour. There is a veil for the monks and there are three midnight watches. And these correspond to times that we pray the first at 6 a.m. and the third at 9 a.m. and the sixth at 12 p.m. The ninth at 3 p.m., the eleventh at 5 p.m., the sixth at 6 p.m., although many wait until they go to sleep. And we ask the monks, Abba, how important is it that we uphold these times? Because maybe I don't need to wake up at 6, I need to wake up at 7 or 8. So do I really need to pray it at 6? But at, 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 at 9 a.m. and at 12 p.m., I'm at school, I'm at work, I'm doing something else. Should I adhere to that? And the monks said, you need to adhere to it. It's incredibly important. And that teaches us that we have appointments with God. Now, when it's 9 a.m., it's time to say a prayer.
Does it need to be the entire Gbeya, the monk advice? It doesn't need to be, at least in the beginning. Work towards it. If it's as simple as, I will say the Lord's Prayer. I will say the Thanksgiving Prayer. Whatever it is, that's fine, again, with the guidance of your Father Confession. Actually, this process of just starting off with one prayer is the secret to reading the entire Gbeya. Uh, Pope Shenouda, when he became a monk, he would work all day, probably until midnight, and you have to be in church by 4 a.m. for the for the prayers of the of the of the, the midnight watches. You can't imagine how tired he is. I, there's no way I can pray Mike Bea. but he says I'm a, I'm a monk and I'm here. At least I can pray the Lord's prayer. And after the Lord's prayer, he says, "Well, you know, I I have a lot to give thanks for. At least I can pray the prayer of thanksgiving." Aren't I a sinner? Didn't I fall today? At least I can pray Psalm 50. And at least I can read a psalm, because these will keep the devils away. And at least I can read the gospel. And you know, I may as well read the Holy Holy, the 41 Karolite song. I may as the 41 Karolite and the Holy Holy Holy. And, and I may as well read the absolution. And since I'm concluding, I will read the conclusion of every hour. And suddenly you find he's prayed an entire prayer. But I, I don't want to pray with the Igbeah. It's more important that I pray my own personal prayer. It's more important that I come up with the words and I offer something intimate to God. What are our prayers? What is our creativity? What words can I come up with? And how do these compare to the words of King David? The psalms that the devils hear and run away. I don't think any devils run away when I pray. I think my words are uh, inadequate and they're very weak. But when I pray through the Igbeya, the Igbeya teaches me and I take phrases such as, Lord, do not remember the sins of my youth and my ignorance, but according to your mercy, have compassion upon me. Suddenly, these are very deep and dense words that were formed with much prayer and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. These I can take, these I can offer. That is our liturgy. This is how we learn to pray. Oh, the Igbeya is too long, though. I'd rather just say the Lord's Prayer. Isn't it better? One word with understanding than 10,000 words without, without any. Right, St. Paul does, says, does say this thing. But if I want quality prayer, there must also be quantity. Listen to those Bible studies where, the, where the, the person, the bishop or the priest will go verse by verse. You'll find that each verse is informed by all the other verses in the Bible. That when there is a much deeper understanding, then we can have these very deep, dense prayers, praying very slowly. So it's good for us to continue to read the Psalms, to pray the Igbeya. Why? Because then this teaches us how to make our own personal prayer. So let's be like these four men and, their, and the friend who was paralyzed and now is healed. That we may seek wisdom advice, not leaning our, on our own understanding. But rather, let's not let any kind of obstacle get between us and God, even a great crowd, even a roof, through the advice and guidance that the church is our mother as a boat that takes us from this life to the next, let us work diligently and together as a community in Christ to work towards the kingdom of God and sanctification and holiness in our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom is due all glory and honor with his good Father and the Holy Spirit. And glory be to God forever. Amen.